This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. I want to go to the New Testament to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. And we want to begin reading at verse 57. It's just the last few verses of Luke 9. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. The Christian life is a progressive thing. It's ongoing, it's marching forward, it's upward and onwards. It's pressing towards the mark. Putting your hand to the plow calls for a deep commitment It calls for determination, decisiveness, moving forward in God. Looking back is a prelude to going back. And God has no plans for us going back. There's only one way he wants us to go, and that is forward and onwards and upwards. This is not a time for loosening our grip on the plow. This is a time to be steady. This is a time to be committed. These are challenging days that we're living in, are they not? Every generation has had its own challenges as far as Christians were concerned. Our generation is no different. There are many, many challenges that we face today, and there will be many more coming our way soon. So this is the last thing we want to do is loosen our hand on the plow. We want to get a firm grip on our Christian experience because it's going to be challenged. All the time it will be challenged, so we need to get a grip, as it were. And Jesus said, he that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. We have a saying today, not fit for purpose. Such and such is not fit for purpose. So and so is not fit for purpose. God wants us to be fit for purpose, and he has a purpose for all of us. But we need to be fit for that. I don't mean physically fit, but we need to be ready and willing and able to do kingdom business. What happens when you put your hand to the plow and then you look back? Now, the illustration, of course, Jesus is using was very familiar to his listeners. Uh, It would be a one-man plow. It would be a a wooden uh, plow yoked to either one oxen or maybe two oxen. And, of course, as the oxen moved along the the, the ground, then he would push into the, 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 you know, to make a deep furrow. He had pressed his hand on that plow firmly to make sure there was a deep furrow. But if he looked back, obviously he would be lifting his hand somewhat off the plow to look back, and he would be loosening his grip. And by loosening his grip, he would be lessening his grip on the plow. So what happens when we do that? 
What happens if we have our hand on the plow and we start to look back and we start to listen and lessen our grip on the plow? What happens? First of all, when you lessen your grip on the plow, the hand is meant to be firm. And if we lessen it, it means we're easing off. It means we're not pressing on and we're not pressing in with God. And every one of us, without exception, needs to press on and press in with God. And all of us know when we're not doing that. And if we know when we're not doing that, you can be sure God knows. And so he challenges us not to loosen or lessen our grip on the ply. There's a furrow that we have got to make in the kingdom of God. God has a path for us to take, and there's a way to do it. And we must be determined that we are going to do that. Whenever you lessen your grip on the plow, you're going to be in trouble when you hit the hidden rocks. There are lots of hidden rocks in life. There are lots of rocks that we can see that are obvious, so we can avoid them or deal with them. But it's the hidden ones that cause the big trouble, isn't it? Suddenly, you've had times in your life when something happened unexpectedly, maybe a bereavement. Something just slapped you up the face that you didn't see. It just came out of the blue, as it were. You had no idea it was coming. Maybe a, a, a fatal accident of somebody, family member, or something like that. Or, or maybe suddenly you found that your business just crashed. There's lots of people uh, this past few years, their business has overnight crashed. They never would imagine a million years it would happen, but it happened. And there could be many other things in life that you had no idea in the world would ever take place, but it did. And it happened unexpectedly, and it happened suddenly. You didn't see it coming. You didn't know it was going to happen. And then, bang, it just slaps you up the side of the head. What are you going to do? Well, let me tell you, if your hand is not firmly on the plow when that happens, you're going to be in trouble. Because that's going to rock you. Now, let me give you a little illustration. It's the other way around, but to make this point. Many years ago, I don't play golf anymore, but many years ago I did. I remember one time I was playing out, I think it was with Nigel, and I was playing out Edenmore. And anybody's familiar with that course, most of you probably aren't, but the first shot I took, there's a big, big tree. And of course, you try to avoid the tree, obviously. <laughs> but I got quite close to it. So my problem was my second shot. Now, let me just let you in a little secret about playing golf. You have to hold the club lightly. The biggest mistake amateurs make is to grip that thing as if you're going to strangle it. Because when you do that, your whole body tenses up. So the professionals say, hold it as if you're holding a tube of toothpaste, lightly. Well, my ball landed quite near the big tree, and I looked around to make sure there was no stones there or anything that had got a clear shot. And so holding it lightly, as you're supposed to do, I hit my second shot, and lo and behold, there was a root, one of the roots of the tree was just underneath the ball. And I hit it such a smack. And the pain right up my wrist, right up my shoulder, right up there. I thought I'd broken my wrist. Now, I was holding that loosely, as I was supposed to do. But actually, when I hit that head and root, it really got me into trouble. It really was very, very painful and very, very sore. I'm not, I, I'm not even sure if I finished that round that day because it was just so painful. It just shot right up my arm. I didn't know it was there. I didn't expect it to be there. And when I hit it, boy, I knew it was there then, all right. But it was too late. I hit it. And sometimes in life, whenever we're holding that plow loosely, which we shouldn't be, it should be firm, then we hit a hidden rock. And boy, then we know we've hit something. And if our hand is not firmly on the plow, then we can be spiritually, we can be in trouble. It's going to be much more difficult to deal with. Now, I know that there is a number of you in here, and your hand is very firmly on the plow, and you've hit some hidden rocks. And only the fact that your hand was firmly on the plow, that's what got you through. 
you immediately turn to the Lord. Some people turn against the Lord when sudden, unexpected, bad things happen. But I know that some of you, by your own testimony, it drew you closer to the Lord, and you tightened your grip even more on the Lord. So keep your hand firmly on the plow, so that if you do hit those hidden rocks, you'll be able to deal with it. When you look back, you take your eye off the mark. You see, the plowman had to have a mark. He had to have something to aim at to plow a straight furrow. And so he wasn't looking down, he was looking ahead at a mark. It might have been a gap in a hedge, it might have been a little bush, something up there, a post. And he kept his eye on that and he pressed firmly. And as the oxen went, he was able to steer them and he kept a straight furrow because he had his eye on the mark. But if you look back, your eye's not on the mark, sure it's not. And then your furrow will be all shapes, but it won't be straight. And so when you look back, you automatically, you can't help it, you automatically take your eye off the mark. Somebody says you can't walk backwards into the future. Sure you can't. And so you need to be careful that you don't lose your direction, that you're not any longer plowing a straight furrow. You need to keep check. Have you got your eye on the mark? The apostle Paul had his eye on the mark. I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I pressed towards the mark. He had his eye on something. He knew where he was going. He knew how to get there. He wasn't going to look back. He's going to look forward. Are you doing that today? Is your eye on the mark? Have you got your eye on Christ? Have you got your eye on the goal? What causes people to look back? Sometimes it's the pull of the old life. Sometimes it's the pull of the old life. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, Paul said. His fellow helper, who had the chance in a million of following the greatest mystery of violence that ever walked the face of the earth, but instead... He looked back. And there was something about that world that attracted him. The pull of the old life was there. And that's what happens to cause people to backslide. The pull of the old life. There's something about that old life that still has got some kind of hold. And it draws them back and pulls them back. Jesus, in Luke chapter 17, in fact, I'm going to just turn over and read this little bit here. Luke 17. Jesus speaking about the coming kingdom in verse 20. He says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said to them, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they say to him, Look, and they say to you, Look here or look there, do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out from one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as was in the days of Noah, so shall be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married, wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. By the way, let me just say as an aside, for those who modernists today behind the pulpit who said that Noah's ark was just a fable, it was just a myth, it was metaphorical, well, if that's the case, Jesus believed it. And I prefer to believe Jesus than some modern preacher today, wouldn't you? Jesus made it very clear there was an ark. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. 
In that day he is on the housetop, and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. Remember Lot's wife. What do we remember about Lot's wife? Well, in Genesis 19... Let me remind you about Lot's wife. If Jesus said to his disciples to remember Lot's wife, then we need to remember Lot's wife also. Genesis 19, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. And he said, Hear now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go your way. Now, Lot was a righteous man, but he was living in a very unrighteous place. And he'd been living there a long time. And he got himself involved deeply in the life of Sodom. He sat at the gate of Sodom, which meant he was a civic leader far more involved than he ever should have been in this horribly sinful city. And because of that, he was compromising, really compromising. And so these two angels came and they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. And he knew the reason why he wanted them in the house, you'll see in a moment. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brother, do not do wickedly, so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let, them bring, let me bring them out to you that you may do to them as you wish. That shows you how far this man had fallen. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said to him, Stand back. Then they said, this one, meaning Lot, this one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great so that they became weary trying to find the door in spite of being struck blind. <laughs> their, 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 their lust and desire was so great they still persisted in it. Then the man said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whoever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because of the outcry against him has grown so great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking. They thought this was a bit of a laugh. This is just one big joke. Then the morning dawned, and the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him. While he lingered, why would in the world would he linger? He needs to get out of there fast. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And so it came to pass when they brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Specific command, do not look behind you. Looking back is the prelude to going back. 
Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me, and I die. See now, this, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also. And that I will overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name the city was called. The name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when the Lord, when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So He overthrew those cities, all of the all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities that that grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. But his wife looked back. Remember Lot's wife. What did she do? She looked back. Something about that city was attractive to Lot's wife. Remember there, she had built up a family there. She had built a home there. Her husband was one of the civic leaders there. She probably had a circle of acquaintance among the women there, probably looked up to. There was something about that city, but the social side of it that was attractive to her, and she couldn't bear but not look back. And as soon as she did, punishment fell on her as well. It's important that we don't look back that we keep our hands on the plow. So what causes us to look back? Could be the pull of the old life. It could be present hardships. It could be present hardships. Some folks are wonderful when everything's going well. They'll follow the Lord to the ends of the earth as long as everything's going well. But when something goes wrong, it all changes. Present hardships. The children of Israel, God took them out of Egypt. After long captivity, he took them out of Egypt. And they were hardly gone a few days, but already they started to complain. And they started to wander in the wilderness. And they ended up wandering 40 years in the wilderness. And all he did was gripe and groan and complain, particularly to Moses. He brought us out here to die in this wilderness. And even though God had given them a pillar of cloud by day to shelter them from the searing desert sun and a pillar of fire by night to spare them from the, the cold of the desert... Even though he did all of that, and even though when he complained about no water, he got the water out of the rock, and he complained about the food, and he gave them angels' food, manna, supernatural, miraculous food. All he had to do was go out and pick it and eat it. And they got sick of it. And they got sick of Moses, and they got sick of God. And they wanted the leeks and the garlic of Egypt. Ah, they looked back. And as they looked back, they remembered the leeks and the garlic. They were fed up with that angel's food. And he gave them quails. They were fed up with that after a while too. And all they could think about was leeks and garlic. Well, if I had been there, I might have thought about the leeks, but I don't think I would have thought about the garlic. It's not my favorite uh, thing to eat. Hello, my wife and my daughter slips it into my food unknown to me, and they say I quite enjoy it when I don't know that it's there. <laughs> Just don't tell me it's there. <laughs> Apparently it's in lasagna, is that right? Is it? Yes. Well, there you are. I like lasagna. No accounting for taste. Sure there's not. And so because of present hardships, even though God was blessing them in the midst of it, they looked back to Egypt and they wanted to go back. 
And sometimes it's a present hardship that causes people to stumble and to fall or to go back. Instead of being thankful and grateful for what God is doing, even though there's stuff coming against you and there's stuff that's hard sometimes to deal with, but being thankful and grateful for what God has already done and what He is doing, that keeps us from looking back. You know, if they had a thought a little bit more about the leeks and garlic, if they had a thought about the whippings and the beatings and the brick kilns and the tally of bricks they had to make without straw and they had to get their own straw, they had a thought about all the hardships. They had a thought about the way they were badly treated in Egypt. Maybe they wouldn't have wanted to go back so much. See, here's the problem with backsliding is you're in the world and you get the stage you want to get out of the world and you want to come into God's kingdom because you're tired of the world. You've had enough of the world. You get into God's kingdom and you're going on great for maybe a while, maybe a long time. Something bad happens and you start to look back and the world seems a little bit attractive. But wait a minute, it wasn't very attractive when you in the first place. That's why you want out of it. So what are you going to go back to? And sometimes it's just a case of getting tired in the fight. Not of the fight, but in the fight. Sometimes, as Christian, you go through a, a particular struggle with something. And it's not one of those five-minute things or five-day things. It continues week after week, month after month, maybe year after year. And sometimes it doesn't even be much of a let-up. And the pressure's on. And sometimes you just get tired. You get tired of that particular struggle. You get weary in that. Paul said, Galatians 6 and 9, let us not be weary in doing well, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. In the midst of your struggle, don't lose heart. Because that's what will weary you the most is when you lose heart in the midst of the struggle. The Amplified puts that verse this way. Let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. For in due time and at the appointed season we shall reap, listen to this, if we do not listen and relax our courage and faith. If we do not listen and relax our hand on the plow. But in courage and faith, we go forward. There will be an answer. There will be a breakthrough. But in the midst of it, you get tired and you get weary. Elijah, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, arguably, got tired and got weary. He challenged the prophets of Baal to a jewel on Mount Carmel, 400 of them, and just as one wee prophet. The call fired down from heaven, you know the story so well. And after all, they danced around it and cut themselves and shouted and sang. Nothing happened. And Elijah says, okay, let me build this altar. And then he put water on it. Then he put more water on it. Put more water on it. And then fire came down from heaven and burned the whole thing up. And then they slew the prophets of Baal with the sword, all 400 of them. And more, there was other prophets, false prophets. And then after that, Ahab and Jezebel, Jezebel especially threatened to kill him and take his life. And he ran all the way to Beersheba, way as far south in the country as he possibly could go. And they're under juniper tree. He said, Lord, it's enough. Take my life. I'm the only one left. <laughs> he was having a pity party. Did you ever have one of those? I think we've all had one of those at some time or other, haven't we? Lord, I'm the only one left. Lord says, no, there's 7,000 hasn't bowed the knee to Baal. But you see, he was tired. He was weary in the fight. Why? Because seemingly nothing had changed. 
from the king and the queen down, nothing had changed seemingly. The greatest opportunity the nation had to turn back to God and it looked like nothing had changed. Biggest battle of his life, biggest challenge of his life, biggest faith challenge of his life, nothing seemingly changed. And he got tired and got weary and he wanted to give up. Moses too at one point he got tired and weary if you had two million of a congregation and they were all blaming you would you not be tired and weary with that and that not be enough to weary anybody well it wearied him and he lost the rag didn't he God says speak to the rock and he took out his staff and he beat the rock must we fetch water from this rock you unruly bunch of scoundrels. That's what he was thinking. And he struck the rock. Hmm. Get tired and he got weary. And then he got angry. And then he struck out. Cost him dearly to do that. Cost him. But the Apostle Paul, this amazing man, there was times he was tired and he was weary also. But he never gave up. You've got to take your hat off to Paul. And you know, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9 in the Amplified, listen to this. We are hedged in, we are pressed on every side, troubled and oppressed in every way, but not cramped or crushed. We suffer embarrassments. We are perplexed and unable to find a way out, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted and hard-driven, pursued, but not deserted to stand alone. We are struck down to the ground, but we're never struck out and destroyed. <laughs> I press towards the mark. And he didn't say that in a vacuum. Sure he didn't. He didn't say that when things were going well. He said that when things were going their worst. I press towards the mark. And sometimes with others, it's just disappointments. Hurts, setbacks, offenses, troubles came. And it looked like God wasn't there for them. That's what it felt like. That's what it looked like. I prayed. God's not answering. He doesn't see this trouble I'm in. He doesn't care if he does. Nothing's happening. And the devil comes along and he whispers in your ear, you're right. Look at the mess you're in now. You gave your life to God. You live your life for Christ. Look at the trouble you're in. He doesn't care. You might as well pack the whole thing up. Disappointments. But God is always there. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Promises he'd be with us even to the end of the age. We may not feel him. We certainly don't see him. But by faith we believe he is there. Amen. And he is. And he does come through. And he will come through. But we dare not take our hand off the plow. We've got to keep pressing on with God. For others, it's bad associations. Bad associations. It's good and it's right, and we ought to reach out to those who are unbelieving, who are non-Christian, because we're supposed to be salt and light in this world. That's one of the things I admire about uh, Wilson there, because Wilson gets out there into the coal face it's not the church setting it's not within four walls it's out there where the unbelievers are but he's out there to reach them for Christ that's a good association Jesus was a friend of sinners the Pharisees tried to put him down with that statement he's a friend of sinners actually that was a badge of honor to Jesus yes I am a friend of sinners it's the sick who needs the physician that's what he said so that's good but then there's the, there's the other association where we get in with the crowd and we melt in with the crowd and we become like the crowd and we think like the crowd and we talk like the crowd and we act like the crowd and we have no influence with those people. They influence us the wrong way. Bad associations. Sam has talked about that. The very, very first Psalm. Just briefly, blessed is the man 
who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Do you see the downward progression? It's simple, isn't it? Who walks not, who stands not, who sits not. You start walking with the wrong crowd for the wrong reason. Not be too long to your standing with them, not be too long to your sitting with them. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. His life also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Peter warned himself that the enemy's fire, didn't he? Afraid for his life, three times he was asked, weren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you a Galilean? I know not the man. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine getting to the place where you even deny you ever knew Jesus? You can't backslide any further than that. Sure you can't. I mean, that's the depth of it, isn't it? And that's what happened to Peter. I know not the man. He's warming himself at the enemies of Christ's fire. Some people, they get in with the wrong crowd and they find that that association affects them detrimentally, spiritually. Another reason why people backslide is they become afraid to take a stand for Jesus. They're not bold enough to take a stand. And they weaken their testimony. I, place where I worked before I came into full-time ministry for many years, there was a number of believers there. And every day when we worked together, we would share, and maybe at the lunch break, whatever, we'd talk about church, we'd talk about the Bible, we'd spiritual things, it was wonderful. But there was one guy, in all of the years I worked there, never once, do you ever share with me anything about Jesus? Not once. Or church. Or the Bible. And yet, I found out when I was about to leave that all of that time, he was a Christian. Wouldn't have known. Never would have known. He was a nice fella. He was well-mannered. He never cursed or swore. He didn't go out clubbing. He didn't do any of those things. He was a fellow well-met. Nice fella. Called himself a Christian. Never once in my company or any of the company of any of those believers did he ever mention the name of Jesus. And I thought to myself, if he doesn't do that with us, he's not going to mention, he's not going to mention Jesus to the unbelievers, is he? If he hasn't got the courage to, to, to talk about him publicly with us, he's never going to do it with the unbelievers. And he never did as far as I know. Reverend Dudley Tang was a great preacher in Philadelphia but a century ago. He was invited to come to the YMCA and speak to 1,000 young men that he had led to Christ. And on his way there, he met with a terrible car accident, a fatal accident. And as he lay dying, he said to those who came to rescue him. He said, I want you to say one thing to those young men. Here is my dying message to them. Stand up for Jesus. Those four words. Stand up for Jesus. Reverend George Duffield, who was a good friend had the job of conducting his funeral service. And he thought about those four words, stand up for Jesus. And he wrote a little poem he thought would be fitting for the funeral service, a little poem based on those four words. And they were beautiful. And a Sunday school teacher in the congregation, she decided to, to read that to her Sunday school children the following Sunday. And a publisher got to hear about it and he read it, and he decided that he'd put it to music. 
And they did. And it became one of the most famous well-known hymns in Christianity. Us older ones would know it as Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. <laughs> Many people know that. Oh, look at the hands, look at the hands. Even some of the young ones know that. Baggy, you didn't know that. She didn't. Well, you didn't know it. You just didn't put your hand up. All right. Stand up for Jesus. Baggy, come on. <laughs> stand up, stand up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. The chorus says, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. I'll skip some verses. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor and watching on to prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. The day, this day the noise of battle, the next the victor song. To him that overcometh a crown of life shall be. He with the king of glory shall reign eternally. Amen. Ah. Stand up for Jesus. Take a stand. If you shall believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. There is something about confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Letting others know. Quickly, what are the results of backsliding? Lack of assurance. Lack of assurance. Backslider becomes filled with doubt. Has no assurance of where he stands before God. Paul says, I know in whom I have believed. And I'm fully persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. <laughs> That's confidence, isn't it? Not in himself, but in Christ to keep him. He says, I know. I absolutely know. Is that your testimony today? You absolutely know. You're not doubting. You're not worrying about it. You're not wondering about it. You absolutely know. Lack of joy. No oil of gladness. Not happy in either world. Backsliders not happy in either world. They've tasted both. And they're not happy in either. It's time to make up their mind. Ah. Uh, how do we change then? Repentance. <clears throat> Repentance. Peter says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Paul James spoke here last weekend, and he talked about the importance of Christians repenting. You remember he said, we tend to think of repentance as a one-time deal, we repent and we get saved and that's it. But there should be repentance in the Christian life. Oh, there's many who preach today, some even television, that repentance is an outdated thing. The Bible doesn't really mean that. I don't know what Bible they're reading, but it's not the one I've got. It's a good thing. Well, whenever we know we're in the wrong path, it's good to change and go the right way and repent. It takes courage sometimes. It takes us to humble ourselves, doesn't it? But it works. It works every time. Ask for forgiveness. Isaiah 55 and 7, return unto the Lord, for he will abundantly pardon. The Lord loves to forgive. He loves it. And he loves to forgive us. Restoration. The prodigal, he's in the pig pen. He's far from home. He's spent all that he had. He's in a big hole, and it's a messy big hole. A young Jewish boy feeding swine. The Bible says, but when he came to himself, when he reached that point, we would say he caught himself on. 
That's a good Northern Ireland statement, isn't it? Cut yourself off. Get a grip. Well, that's what he did. He got a grip. He caught himself on. He came to himself. Why am I in this pig pen? I could be at home. Even if as my father's servant, I'd be better off than in this pig pen. I would arise and I would go. Here's the repentance. And I say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. <laughs> so there was a change of heart, wasn't there? There was a change of direction. And he went back to the father and we know what happened, didn't we? The father embraced him. The father forgave him. The father pardoned him. The father restored him fully, completely into the father's house. Gave him the ring for his finger, the sandal his feet, gave him the robe, beautiful, made the party for him, fully and completely and utterly restored. It's wonderful. Peter, at the last, the angel said to those, the Lord's gone before, tell my disciples and Peter, do not forget to tell Peter. <laughs> Peter messed up. Peter needed restored. He needed forgiven. And he needed to know he was forgiven and restored. But he's embarrassed. He's humiliated. He's ashamed. Tell my disciples and Peter. Make sure Peter knows. <laughs> and you know the story how later on he was restored. Three times, do you love me? In the family of God. So... Where are we today? Is your hand firmly, determinedly on that plow? Or have we lessened and loosened our grip and are looking back? Or have we got a firm grip? I urge you today to make sure you've got a firm grip, that you're holding tight and firm to the Lord. And his plan for you is on course. And that furrow you're making is straight and it's deep. And you're heading towards the mark. That's what God wants for every one of us. And for me, including me, I'm preaching to myself too. I got to keep my hand firmly on the plow. As much as anybody in this room. Maybe even more so. Because more is demanded. So let's keep our hand firmly. Let's keep plowing. Let's keep going forward in Christ, pressing towards that mark, and let's see this thing through until Jesus comes. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> now, I don't know everybody personally this morning in this room. I know most of you, but I don't know everybody. But I wonder today if what I have said has resonated especially in somebody's heart. Maybe you've drifted, maybe you've got away from the Lord. Didn't mean to, but here you are. You're in that position today. Not where you should be before the Lord. Not where you want to be. But the good thing is you can come back. Those of you who come regularly know that Sally's sister, after 30 years, over from Australia, sat in that front row and just a couple of months ago just came right up after the service and says, I want to give my life back to Christ. What a joy. What a blessing. And that could be you today. So I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And if you're in this service this morning, or even if you're listening to this on the podcast in your home or in the car and you want to come back to Christ today then I want you to join me in this prayer you don't have to say the exact words I say you can say your own words but I'll just lead you in this and you can follow if you want to and make that firm commitment 
today that you're returning to Christ. You're going to get your hand firmly on the plow again. And you're going to go forward from this moment onwards. So will you do that as I pray? Lord Jesus, I come before you right now. And I want to tell you I am sorry that I've drifted, that I've gone cold in my relationship to you. I want you to know, Lord, that I know where I am today and I want to come back. I want you to be the Lord as well as the Savior of my life. I want to put my hand to the plow once again and go forward in Christ. So Lord, forgive me for my backsliding. I'm sorry I repent. And give me the strength and the courage that I need from this moment onwards to live every day for you. That I know that I am your child, that no man can pluck me out of your hand. So I give you thanks. Please receive me. Renew me. Restore me. And give me strength and courage to go forward once again. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.